Where do we see Jesus in Revelation chapter 1? He's standing, isn't he, in the midst of seven golden lampstands there as John sees that vision. Jesus standing in the midst of those lampstands. Those lampstands, what? Represent the seven churches that were there in Proconsular Asia. God's temple being put together as we come together. Welcome to Under the Fig Tree. Under the Fig Tree is a verse-by-verse study taught by Pastor Jeff Figs of Calvary Chapel of Greeley. We are currently studying through the New Testament book of 1 Corinthians. Here's Pastor Jeff. If you are in a position where you can do that, or you're a good people person, or what the world might think and consider you as a good people person, being able to... to to go and, and make peace rather than confront, or if you're clever, if you're gifted, you can control that fire. You can control it. And you can go out with your bucket of water and your shovel, and you can stomp it out, and then you can go over here and stomp out that fire, and then you can go over here and stomp out that fire and throw the bucket of water on it, whatever it might be. And again, I'm not saying that the Lord would not have you to do that, but I do know this, over the years that I have had in working with people and ministering to them, I know that the Lord has said to me at times that, you know what, Jeff, you need to let it go and you need to let it burn. You need to let it burn. It doesn't mean we're not sensitive in helping people. It doesn't mean that I don't ever step in and try to help people. I do all the time. But I know there are times where the Lord will say, listen, I am trying to do a work here And I'm trying to do a work in that individual in this circumstance. You need to just let it burn right now. Do you know what I mean? When I was at CSU years ago in the forestry program, I graduated from CSU in their forestry program, there's one thing that we understood and we began to find out there in the 80s, and that was the Smokey the Bear campaign. You don't hear so much of Smokey the Bear anymore. You used to all the time in the 60s and 70s and in the 80s. And the Smokey the Bear campaign really had some positive results, but we also found out it had some very negative results. And the way that it had negative results is that when you went to the National Forest and you saw the sign of Smokey the Bear, and he says only you can prevent forest fires and he's got all his little animals there and the deer and squirrels and the rabbits and all that around him we had the thought of all fires are bad that they're terrible and so that's what was ingrained in us but there's something that we forgot as foresters and it was this that we forgot that fire was a natural part of the ecology and that fires oftentimes would sweep through an area. We would do studies on on the rings of trees called dendrochronology. And what we would find that is before the 1930s that regularly a fire, you can tell a lot of things from the rings when there was a drought season, when there was a wet season, when even a fire went through because it would leave a little scar, that regularly through a, a stand of timber here along the front range in Colorado, that there would be a fire that would sweep through, kind of clean things out. Then after that, you wouldn't see any because they would go out and put out the fires right away. 
So they began to conclude that fuels would build up and dead timber would build up, and it made for more of a chance of a, a large fire, a catastrophic fire, to just blow up and break out. So we forgot that fire oftentimes would clean up the dead timber and the brush as it went through an area. And, and many of the trees regenerated by a fire coming through, cleaning out the old timber and causing new growth of the trees to take place, that all fires weren't bad but actually they were good in the long run in maintaining a healthy forest. Now my purpose in telling you this is not to give you a forest ecology lesson, but to simply say this, that sometimes the fires need to burn to get rid of the old dead timber of our lives, to allow new growth to take place, that we will be healthy spiritually in eternity's values and views. And after the fire sweeps through, their lives, through my life, other people's lives. When the Lord does what he wants to do in cleaning out that old timber and things that are dead, then oftentimes I've found that I can poke around and you know what you'll find? You'll find some gold and silver and precious stones that are left. And I can begin to rebuild on that. And I watch the new growth come into my life, and I allow the Lord to do His work through me and in me. Even when it's hot, I allow the fire to go. And again, for you who are involved with people, your family, ministering to others, whatever it might mean for you, don't think that you have to put every fire out that you see around you and run out there and stomp it out. Times you will. But other times the Lord might be saying to you, you need to let it burn. I'm doing a work here. And I hope that I've articulated well enough to give us something to consider and think about as we go through life. Because sometimes when we do that, we're not helping them. And we can control the situation. But things build up, and the dead timber builds up, and the dead stuff of life, and they just continues on, and it continues on, and it just makes for a day when it's all going to blow up someday. Because what the Lord wanted to do wasn't done. Because we didn't let it burn. And so here Paul, as he talks about the wood, hay, and stubble, that someday our life is, is our works that we've done as we stand before the Bema reward seat of Jesus Christ is going to be tried by fire, determine whether it is wood, hay, and stubble, or gold, silver, and precious metals. Rewards will be given for that which pleases the Lord that we did to honor him. Jesus said in Revelation chapter 22, Behold, I come quickly, my reward is with me, to give to everyone according to his work. And may our works be likened to that which is gold and silver and precious metals. Well, let's continue on. Verse 16. Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? Now, most of us know that our bodies are referred to in the New Testament as the temple of God. We are going to see in a couple chapters in chapter 6 that we're going to be told, Paul writes, don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit that is in you? And certainly here as we read about that we are the temple of God, we can make application to us individually being the temple of God. But I believe, and many Bible commentators believe that what Paul is talking about here, making reference to in chapter 3, is that talking about the temple of God referring to the church corporately. The church built upon the foundation Jesus Christ. Each one of us, 
making up the church. And we are likened, actually, the church to a holy habitation, to a holy temple. Peter wrote in 1 Peter chapter 2 that we are living stones that are being fitted together into a holy temple. So each of us individually are stones and we're all being placed together into this temple that's being built, this holy temple unto God. Ephesians 2, Paul picks up on that analogy. He develops it. He says that you are being built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also were being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. You and I are living stones. And together we make up this holy habitation for the Lord, this holy building, this holy temple unto the Lord. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 3, verse 6, it was the writer of the book of Hebrews says, whose house we are, speaking of the temple of God. And they needed to understand that, those Hebrew believers, because they would be there in Jerusalem looking down upon that magnificent temple that stood during that time that they were being written that letter. And, and they had a tendency, those who came out of Judaism that are now Christians, to go back to the temple worship and the temple sacrifices, and they missed all of that. And so it was important for the writers of Hebrews to say, listen, God is making an even more magnificent temple. The temple in Jerusalem was going to be destroyed just a few years after that letter was written to them. But God is building a temple that will last forever, and that is you guys coming together Jesus bringing us all together. He is the foundation. He's the chief cornerstone. And I want to just encourage you this morning. Because as we are living stones, being fitted together, that can present some challenges, can it? Because we can rub each other the wrong way. People that perhaps you know or minister with, you might think, well, they're just a blockhead or they rub me the wrong way, or they got a chip on their shoulder, whatever it might be, you be patient because we're all under construction. The temple is under construction. God is still working with you. He's working with me. He's still putting this, this building together. But don't pull away. Don't pull away from the church. Don't say, well, you know what? I'm just going to be my own little stone, my own little block off by itself. God's desire is that we do come together into this holy temple. He is the one that is the foundation. And he's the one that desires for us to come together because there's benefits. And we're going to see here, as we have read, what the viewpoint and how valuable the church is to the Lord this morning. That holy temple. And we make up the temple as we come into this place. Us living stones. So don't go off by yourself. It is the book of Hebrews, again, chapter 10, that says, don't forsake the assembly of ourselves together, as in the matter of some, especially as you see the day approaching. And I believe we are seeing the day approaching. So we don't want to isolate ourselves. We want to be a part of the church. We want to recognize how important the church is and that the church is holy and that in the church dwells the Holy Spirit. In our own lives dwells the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God dwells in this place, and haven't you found that to be true? And I know that I have. That when I come into this place, and I hope that as you come into this place, that we can sense a very real 
awareness that the Lord is here. We come in after the challenges and difficulties. There are hard work of a uh, week of work and challenges that we face. And we come into this place and we encourage each other. And we are ones that we lift each other up and we worship and we learn of Christ. And we just perceive him in a very real way. We're touched by him in a very real way. It's kind of interesting to note here that the word that Paul uses for temple here is naos, which has the meaning of inner sanctuary. It is the same word that he would use in John chapter 2. Now, most of you know that as we read the story of Jesus cleansing the temple, there are actually two separate events of Jesus cleansing the temple. There was one in the first year of his ministry that's recorded in John chapter 2, and then in his last year of public ministry, right before he went to the cross, there was another cleansing of the temple that we read about in the Synoptic Gospels. But in John chapter 2, early in Jesus' ministry, he would go to the temple, he would turn over the money changers' tables, he would drive out the animals that were being sold for sacrifice, and he would cry out, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. And it was the Pharisees who heard that, and they said, what do you mean you're going to raise up the temple? It's taken us 46 years to build this temple. In other words, they were making reference to when Herod the Great began to remodel the second temple, and it was taken 46 years up to the time of Jesus. It was a magnificent structure, huge stones, and that work would actually continue 30 years after the death of Jesus. Just continuing to work, remodeling that temple and the buildings around it. And they're saying, it's taken us 46 years, and you're going to raise it up in three days? What are you talking about? But Jesus, we know, was talking about his resurrection. He was talking about his body. That you're going to put me to death. I'm going to be buried, and I'm going to rise again after three days. But in that temple, there was the inner sanctuary, wasn't there? And we've talked about this on Wednesday nights going through the Old Testament as We've looked at the tabernacle. There was two rooms, the holy place, the outer sanctuary, and then a veil, and then the inner sanctuary or the holy of holies. And that's where the Shekinah glory of God was. That's where the Ark of the Covenant was. That's where only the high priest was allowed to go in once a year. And so the apostle here to the church of Corinth, he would also make references to the other churches. Listen, you are the temple of God, and God dwells in you. You are the inner sanctuary individually. You're the inner sanctuary corporately. Where do we see Jesus in Revelation chapter 1? He's standing, isn't he, in the midst of seven golden lampstands there as John sees that vision. Jesus standing in the midst of those lampstands. Those lampstands, what? Represent the seven churches that were there in Proconsular Asia. God's temple being put together as we come together. He's in the midst of the church. He's the foundation of the church. He's the cornerstone of the church. He stands in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. So, verse 17, If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. So God's temple is holy. His church is holy. And we need to remember that. Because I can run into those who say that they are Christians, yet... They have such contempt for the church. Now oh, the church is just full of a bunch of hypocrites, a bunch of idiots. 
I don't like the church. I don't like organized religion and all this. And I'm not going to have anything to do with the church. I'm just going to go up in the trees and, and have my own little church and my own little sanctuary. You can do that. And the Lord loves you. And you're still a child of God. But you're being disobedient and forsaking the assembly of ourselves together. And I know that the church isn't perfect and this church isn't perfect because it's made up of imperfect people. We're perfectly forgiven. But don't lose sight and don't forget that Jesus is into the church. Again, he dwells in the midst of the church. And he declares that the church is holy, this temple is holy. And so we need to keep those things in mind. That we are the bride of Christ. And he does love his bride. We are the children of God. And he loves his children. So Paul gives a very stern warning here. If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him. Now, that's a pretty stern warning, isn't it? Paul's giving a warning to those in the church of Corinth. He's kind of wrapping this thing up concerning this division and envy and strife. He says, listen, that God's temple is holy. And he will destroy the, the one who defiles the temple. You who are causing strife and division, and the result is, um, is division. Uh, those of you who come in with false teaching, he's going to have to address that later on, the false teachers of Corinth. And it's interesting that the word that Paul uses for destroy, as we see it, it's a very hard and very uh, you know, sobering warning here. In verse 17, that word destroy has the meaning of spoil, of ruin, of corruption, of defilement. And know this, that if you're continually coming against and finding fault with the brothers and sisters causing division and strife and envy and all of this, coming against the church, there's going to be a corruption and defilement that will take place in your soul and in your heart. God's word has declared to us that the church is a holy temple. So don't do anything that will bring spoil and ruin and division and corruption in the church because you will experience that corruption within you, within your heart. You know, you can make fun of me. You can poke fun at me, put me down. Over the years of ministry, pastors get used to it. Come against my bride or come against my kids, I get very cranky. And I get very defensive, just as you should. Husbands, if anybody comes and makes fun of your wife. Anybody just starts criticizing and making fun of your children with no real cause or anything constructive or edifying. Because we're committed to our wives. We're committed to our children. Just as Jesus, he loves his bride and his children. He's committed to us. But I kind of want to give the flip side of the coin to this as well. The apostle says that the temple, the Christian individually, the church corporately, is holy. What does that mean for you and for me? I don't want to bring anything into my life. I don't want to bring anything into this church that's going to cause corruption and defilement, that which is worldly. So he begins to wrap this section up of what he's talking about, their division in verse 18. He said, let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you seems to be wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God, for it is written he catches the wise in their own craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. 
Therefore, let no one boast in man, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come, all are yours. And you are Christ, and Christ is God's. So Paul emphasized and quit exalting yourselves and other men. Quit just pursuing the wisdom of men, thinking you're so wise. Remember that the Corinthians had that mindset of doing that. He says, you become a fool that you may become wise. Now, Paul's not telling them to be foolish in their thinking or in their living or in their way that they acted. But remember back in chapter 1, verse 18, that the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. You Corinthians should be boasting in God, not in a man. Quit exalting yourselves, start exalting God. And quit thinking that we're the spiritual ones because we got our little group We've centered around an individual. We've centered around this some kind of philosophy or some kind of wisdom. And exalting yourself and being prideful and causing strife and envy and division. You're carnal. And know that the temple of God is holy. I remember when we first started the church, there was a lady that used to come to me all the time, and she would say, well... I think that I'm really the only one in this church that really has a love for God's word. And, and she would say that oftentimes, and it just it frustrated me. And I would talk to her about that because it was nothing but pride. Over the years, I've dealt with those who, well, we're going to make a real stand on this one issue, and this is the way we see things, and this is the way it should be, and we're going to get our own little group, and... And whoever doesn't think exactly like us, we're going to criticize them. And you need to be careful when you get into a mindset that you're going to mobilize some group around you personally. And if everybody doesn't agree with me in the group, then we're going to you know, exclude you or get out of here or whatever it might be. And then we're going to be critical of everybody else. We're the spiritual ones. And it's a real subtle thing that we can get into. Paul is saying, you don't exalt men. You don't exclude others. And he says in verse 19, the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. And so as you come together, know that when it comes to Paul or Apollos or Cephas, all things are yours, verse 21. You can take many things and many wonderful spiritual things from these men of God and be blessed and instructed and encouraged in the things of the Lord. I know I covered this not long ago, but I think it's worth reminding us. We were in the book of Deuteronomy on Wednesday not long ago before we were in Joshua. In Deuteronomy chapter 20, it was Moses that was given instructions to the children of Israel when they went into the promised land and they did battle. And it was the Lord that said to the children of Israel, when you go in and you do battle against the enemy, that when you siege a city, make sure that you don't cut down the trees that bear fruit because they can benefit you. They're food for you. The trees that don't bear fruit, you can go ahead and you can cut them down and use them. But the trees that bear fruit, you don't put an axe against them. And I think that we need to be careful that we don't take our axes and we begin to chop on and cut on those who can benefit us, who provide fruit. To understand that the church, as we come together, that we can benefit. Not only just from the pastor or from you know, an elder. All of us, we can benefit. 
And again, there isn't a single person that is in the church that you can't look at them and you can really nitpick them to death if you want to. And you begin to focus on that. And you begin to criticize in the spirit of criticizing and the church is this and the church is that and these people are this way and rather than benefiting from them rather than seeing the fruit that's being produced in their lives and rejoicing in that and I know that in the church at large that there are those who teach false doctrine and those who you know um, are ripping the people off those trees that don't bear fruit we're told to expose them and warn people against them. But for those who are committed to the gospel, to the word, we don't just start chopping on them, but rather we benefit from them. So Paul here has been very painstakingly addressing this whole problem to the Christians at Corinth. Don't be puffed up against others. Don't puff yourself up and don't, you know, um, be ones that you're excluding yourself from one another. But what you are to do, you are to do the work of the Lord. Thank you for joining us on Under the Fig Tree. If you would like a copy of today's study, please call us and ask for the message with today's date. Our phone number is 970-330-1717. That number again, 970-330-1717. If you prefer, you can write us at 2602 West 27th Street, Greeley, Colorado, 80634. You can also visit us online at ccgreeley.com. Under the Fig Tree is brought to you by Calvary Chapel of Greeley. We invite you to join with us for our Sunday morning services at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. and our Wednesday evening service at 7 p.m. Please join with us next time as we continue to study the Bible together on Under the Fig Tree.